The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Do you read Stephen King? Good news. There's a club for you. The Losers Club. Every Friday, us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris, the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. I want to thank all of you all checking out the episode. Thank you so much for listening in, especially to those who subscribe to the series. Uh, if you're not a subscriber and you're into the interviews with musicians, uh, hearing from your favorite artists, discovering new ones, know what's happening in the music world, hit that subscribe button right now wherever you're listening from. Maybe it's iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, but really anywhere you get your podcasts from, you can hit that subscribe button and we'll deliver brand new interviews to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'm Kyle Meredith, and today my guest, Will Toledo of the band Car Seat Headrest. We're going to be talking about the new record, Making a Door Less Opened. In fact, uh, getting into the record, finding a style and sound he hadn't done yet, that was a big importance as he kind of looked towards this record, but doing some really interesting things once he was inside. In fact, uh, depending on what version of the album that you get, uh, whether it's on vinyl, CD, or you're listening on streaming, uh, you're going to hear a different album. There's multiple versions, uh, and, and we'll talk about how he built those each towards the the medium of choice. And then relating that practice a little bit back to folk music and the way that folk artists would redo old songs and release multiple versions, uh, Bob Dylan comes to mind as one of the kings of multiple versions of songs. Will also created a, an alternate persona uh, for this record right here, a character called Trait. So I want to hear uh, all about Trait and using uh, a persona as writing tool, how that benefited uh, going into the record and taking him out of a comfort zone and whether or not he'll be developing that into something more. I mean, uh, you, you have a concept like this, why not do a film? 
That'll lead into the lost art of theatrics uh, and writing with the performance in mind. We'll talk about that uh, that big radio single, Hollywood, how it speaks to class divide and futurism. Uh, really interesting subject. Uh, art from the last century had a big impact. Uh, the, the futurism concept had a big impact on this record as well. Oh, and also, before we get into it, I, I want to make mention, not that you'll probably care too much, uh, but uh, this was uh, this was recorded not long after the pandemic started, and uh, and I was using Zoom, and I forgot to turn my mic on. So what you're hearing is very clear audio from Will Toledo and uh, computer audio from me. Uh, it's listenable, but it's a little weird, so I'm just going to point that out uh, right here. So that's a taste of what you're going to get. Let's jump into it, talking about this record, Making a Door Less Open. It's Kyle Meredith with Car Seed Headrest. So the new record is called Making a Door Less Open. And and it, it, the reactions have been interesting from the people who love it to the people who don't quite know what to do with it yet. I'm going to tell you straight up this. I'm, I'm absolutely certain is my favorite piece of work that you've done yet for so many reasons. I mean, it's you talked a lot about, you know, going into this one, too. And, and it sounded like it was important for you to find a new direction. Uh, a new sound isn't an easy thing. Like that's just not something that most people can really try for. What was the process for you to arrive at this sound? Well, I don't know. I mean, every record, yeah, I just kind of start from looking at the last one and um, trying to figure out what the uh, what the problems were with it, where we could improve. You know, it, it is a you know it, finding that new direction and 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 learning about the process and everything because is it that you have to change the way that you write specifically? I mean, is it an entirely different way of approaching a song? Uh, I guess it's more of a development um, in the way that I write. I mean, we were working on Twin Fantasy and we did that, and that was you know that was a re-recording of what we did in 2011. So that was its own challenge in putting that together and you know you could only go off script so much so one thing going into this project was really getting a fresh start and being able to do whatever and put that you know on the page or in the song and so it was um that was the mentality going into it was just what can the song be um and really just laying down track before I was really planning anything out on a more thematic level or a more structured level. How important was sampling to this? I've heard you bring that up too. And I feel like that's a lost art. You know, I'm in my late thirties, obviously I'm a, I'm a teen of the nineties when sampling was maybe at its peak and everything. And I always really enjoy that maybe for nostalgic purposes, but it seems like such an interesting and creative way to write a song was it as was it as important to this record as as I feel like I've read it was? I mean, in terms of like sampling other songs, we couldn't really do that uh, so much. You know, be, we actually ran into trouble in previous records trying to get stuff cleared. In terms of you know, there were sounds and there were resources. You know, there are websites of free samples where say we needed a, you know a, a snare sound we could go and and look for different sounds there if that's what you mean by sampling then there was there was a lot of that going on and really a lot of this record was just looking around um for the pieces that sonically would fit in you know but it's it's mostly kind of chopped up and and just individual elements there are a few longer samples like um the trumpet solo on martin 
just came from a, a sample library, an online um, resource. But yeah, a lot of it was kind of starting with elements that were pre-recorded and um, building something that included us off of that. It sounds like a fun way to write. Like in one sense, I guess that's not so different than if you were in a room with other people and the person across the room played something and you're like, oh, that's cool. Let's build something around that. But another sense for it, you know, to kind of be this existing thing that ideally anyone can use, you know, and, and to still get something very original out of it. Uh, there was another, uh, I'm using a few of your words from interviews where you said they're all folk songs underneath. And I think that's, I can see the bridge between using samples in the way that you're talking about and the tradition of folk songs and repurposing, you know, other songs from the past or something like that. Um, to me, that was more about sort of the core songwriting structure. You know, really, I didn't want to make something that was totally reliant on something like samples or, or the specific arrangement of the songs as they were presented on the record. The goal, once we had certain ideas for songs, was to flesh it out into um, sort of a full song that could really translate into a different medium or into different arrangements if, if that's what we wanted to do. You know, if, if you wanted to just pick up a guitar and, and try to play the song, you wouldn't lose a whole lot of it. You know, you would still have that core in place. And that to me is, is what I was thinking of in terms of folk music, you know, because I think sort of the, the, the main aspect of that is just sort of transmittability or translatability between people, you know, if, if you can pass a song along between a lot of different people versus making something that's that sort of um, doesn't translate outside itself, I guess. You, you talk about those multiple versions, being able to come up with multiple versions of that, again, a very folk thing, obviously. I mean, hell, as we see from Dylan's bootleg series, the guy probably himself has, you know, a dozen different versions of every song, which that's real. like, I don't know anybody else that's doing that. You know, in the way you've structured it, and, and of course, for the audience listening, there's different track lists for the vinyl, for the CD, and for uh, the streaming. And, and for a lot of instances, they're, they're actually different songs, too. So you have multiple versions. When do you know that it's time to finish a song, then? Is that ever a problem? Uh, well, in this case, it was uh, entirely deadline-based, and um, we really just worked up until each deadline, um, you know, trying to get the best thing for vinyl and then for digital. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that probably a lot of musicians work in in sort of the similar way that it just doesn't necessarily occur to people to to make that a part of the record. But um, I've I've always just kind of thought that the the record should reflect the process, I guess, and that it yeah that it should. Um, you know, if it's something that is still evolving to let that be shown on the record itself. And so, you know, we were pushing towards something that would make sense on vinyl. And then we did that. And then once we had got it on vinyl, it it was sort of, I wanted to keep it open, what it could be on the other mediums. And it just kind of changed as we went out of that particular path into getting something for the final streaming version. You know, it used to be, though, if you were a collector, you would have a reason to find, you know, to buy all the multiple formats in, in some way. But this is even for even like the like the casual fan, like they might actually want to have three different versions of this record just for the experience. 
uh, which might not have been why you went for it, but it, it seems like it's definitely in a, you know, a nice advantage uh, or a <laughs> to, to, to have on it. Yeah. I mean, we, well, we included everything as a download so that if you really just want to hear everything, you don't have to buy three different versions. Really the, the, the change in formats to me was, you know, if someone does just prefer listening on vinyl, there should be a sort of experience crafted around that. You know, it bothers me when I see someone or see a record on vinyl that was clearly not structured for it. You know, they they were just thinking about the digital version and then the vinyl kind of gets printed as an afterthought and you end up, you know, with something like there's two vinyl, but it's less than an hour long, you know, just kind of silly stuff like that. Uh, and I don't, you know, I, I don't want that to be what we do. I want, if we're selling vinyl, to to put something out that reflects that, you know. And if we're putting out a CD, to to put something out that reflects the way that people listen to CDs. You know, I still have CDs in the car, and um, it's just kind of a different experience because you've got it on a loop, and maybe it starts up in the middle when you turn your car on. Um, but then you just keep it playing. And so you kind of get a different track list every time that way. So just kind of each each step of it was just looking at the individual thing that we were putting it on and trying to make something cool. Is there a cassette version? No. Um, we There was talk about it. It just didn't uh, didn't get followed up on. Maybe maybe eventually. That's I, I drive a 2001 Ford Taurus with its original cassette deck and no CD player uh, to adapt. <laughs> really, there's no CD player. There's no CD player. In it. No, it's which uh, by 2001 there absolutely should have been. I don't know why, but it it actually made me kind of reapproach cassette culture, and and I'd sort uh, of move in once vinyls became expensive again. Oh, yeah, I still got my car from 2000 um or my parents car from 2000 and it's got cd and tape but again you know it does allow for this entire experience which i know i keep coming back to that i was thinking back on some albums that maybe had you know those extra layers uh nine inch nails year zero was you know for me one of the first ones that i remember because there was a whole reality game i don't know if you remember I didn't play it. I, I remember that it was mentioned. Was there was the music a part of that too? Yeah, it was because it, there was clues. It was sort of not a scavenger hunt, but it was some of it was, you know, you could find stuff online and then some of it was in real life. He actually bridged it out. Uh, and it started with when you bought the CD, well, one of the starting points, if you bought the CD, it was one of the first CDs with heat sensor on it. And so once you played it, the black went away to white and, and there was like some numbers on there, which led to a website, but he was also le- at that time leaving, uh, like, uh, flash drives around like LA and Chicago with stuff on it. And there were phone numbers involved and it was, it was very, very cool. And I know I'm getting off track here, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I remember it. I don't, what did it lead to exactly? A dystopian future is what it leads to. <laughs> Just a sort of a storyline in that way. And I'm really bridging that over to what you've done with, with Freight because here is, as you said, an alternate persona. And it just, again, adds another layer if you want to use it. Having something like that, does that allow you freedom in, in any place you weren't able to get to otherwise, uh, whether it's in your songwriting or the way you sing a song or something like that? Um. It was kind of helpful 
to have trait in mind for some of these tracks. You know, I, I did try to push myself um, to just do different different stuff vocally this record. Um, you know, there's there's faster lyrics and uh, I'm kind of pushing just just the amount of lines I'm delivering, um, you know, capita per minute and just having yeah having having sort of a different identity in mind uh, was helpful in that i think mainly it remains to be seen what it's going to look like being trait because to me that was really going to be a part of the live concert and sort of the general um you know sort of being active with this record which right now it is you know is not happening um to, for the most part we uh we've put it out and that's almost all we can do because of the current situation. So I, you know, I'm looking forward to the point where we can get on the road and, and be in front of people. And I think that that is the time when I'm going to start being able to explore more what trait means. Could that develop into an even grander vision beyond the tour? I mean, is this something that can, you know, it's been in the music videos a little bit so far, but is that something that could translate to, to, you know, a longer film arc thing? Yeah. Anything's possible. It it depends on uh, what, what I get inspired to do, but I think the idea is to, to just have something that is kind of rich in that, you know, cross category way, you know, the music is the music. And if you don't know anything about anything, you know, that's not on the record, then, you know, you don't need that context to enjoy the music. But, you know, once you're paying attention, I think there's a lot of things that you can do with, um, with the concept of this sort of mysterious character. Is there a backstory that you're able to talk about? Is it developed in that way? Um, I'm still kind of going back and forth. And um, yeah, it's, again, it, to me, it's something that I kind of need to explore on a live level. Um, yeah, I just don't know yet. I'm, uh, I'm interested to watch that one unfold. I miss the theatrics in this way, and I don't want that word to come across the wrong way, uh, but in, in music. No, I agree. It, it sort of used to be like even even the most straight-faced artists would still have some concept of theatrics in there, and I, I feel like that really has it's a lost art at the moment so i'm I'm, yeah really yeah i mean like it's to me it's just weird it's weird going on a you know on into a bigger venue and playing a show and sort of pretending like it's the smaller rock club um you know i think that that's what a lot of people want when they when they go see a rock show but you know it's just kind of you're not in that room and it's hard for me to pretend otherwise you know we're we're playing in venues that are literally more like a theater you know they're designed sort of for orchestral music or, or in the same way that a movie theater is designed and you know we we have flashy lights now and it just made a lot more sense to acknowledge that and lean into that and build up a show that really used those resources instead of just pretending like they weren't there. Let's say I'll bring it back to the music because you use that, or it seems to me you use that within the songs too. Like even when you're making a point and so I'll bring up the radio single Hollywood, like those theatrics still exist within that. It's just not, you know, here's what I, here's how I feel about celebrity culture or, or something like that. It's still kind of, I don't know, tongue-in-cheek's the right, right word. I, I don't want to overuse theatrics, but all of that's in there, you know? 
Yeah, there's there's a performative element to the music, which again to me is is a good way to bring it back live. You know, I, I used to write and and not really think about the performance aspect of it so much. And then when it came time to sing the lyrics, it would just be such a drag for me to try and get get it out. And I never really felt like I was nailing anything, you know, on these early car seat records. And it just became a part of my process eventually where I had to write, you know, not only in a way that felt genuine to what I was expressing, but in a way that would um, then translate into something I could sing well. Um, so that was really a process of figuring out my own voice and playing a lot of shows to to see what I could sing well um, or what my voice was suited towards. And um, it does kind of tend a little towards the dramatic, I think, you know, it's something that uh, live can be, I don't know, just a little weird and, and off kilter, but in an engaging way, at least, you know, when I'm singing well. And so I hope, um, you know, I, I wrote these lyrics definitely to be able to play in that way, you know, and, and to, to have sort of a delivery that edged on comic at times, but maybe never quite got there, you know, stayed in this strange melodramatic range. Does a song like that and and closing the album with famous and and I'm using a very broad stroke uh, on the comparisons here, but is it a coincidence that you know as you've become very very popular, these are things that you're finding to comment on yourself? I don't know. I mean, sort of the bare bones start of the record. I had some thoughts about it it being some sort of statement on, on success, but I don't think I actually really dug into writing it that way when I was actually writing it because for the most part um, I didn't feel like my life had changed that much you know I mean I was touring a lot but my home life is much the same as it's always been so really something like Hollywood you know that to me comes more from my own experiences um, as a sort of an outsider Uh, to me this that song is not really about Hollywood at all so much as being sort of an ordinary person and experiencing, you know, these news flashes from Hollywood that uh, you can't really make sense out of. And so that, you know, obviously that came from my own experiences. And it also came as a sort of a reaction against a lot of pop music writing of the time, which, you know, there is a lot of just material success that, uh, gets talked about in the these super popular songs it's sort of the go-to for a certain style of song right now and um it's just it's weird to me that that's going on in such sort of such an uncritical way while we're also looking at you know a, a lot of us are looking at the you know the struggle of capitalism and wanting to question you know these values but at the same time, on, on the, the most popular level of pop culture, those values are really not being questioned. So I think uh, getting into those topics, I end up talking about them more from a, a, just a normal guy sort of perspective than from any sort of behind-the-scenes perspective. Which, uh, again, uh, what you kind of want out of a song that was kind of, it's like, it's, it, it almost touches on class divide in that way, which I don't think I'd really considered yeah, I mean, it's just sort of like, you know, if you're on the bottom rung, you're getting uh, the short end of the stick from everyone else. 
but there's also sort of this urge to climb that ladder and be at the top and be screwing over everyone else. And so the song to me is just sort of a slow pan up that ladder from the bottom to the top. And you see, you know, everyone is is screwing over someone and getting screwed over by someone bigger than them. It's yeah, it's, it's just kind of the screwed up thing that, that I see when I look at this sort of pop culture. That's, you know, on top of everything, I should say, it's also a really fun song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the goal is to kind of straddle, you know, in, in the same sort of way that, that these pop songs do have, you know, this sort of, you know, you know there is a tongue-in-cheek nature to it. And I wanted to keep that uh, while sort of riding the, the edge of going into to more serious ideas. Uh, I'll wrap up here too. Um, I think this was from the press release. So if it's wrong, uh, I'll blame the press release. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when it, when it named, when it was kind of talking about what to expect from this record, and it, it was talking about, you know, this time around, you do get influences of obviously rock, but also hip hop. And, and it goes through a bunch of genres. And one of them was futurism. And that one kind of lit up because I thought exactly what is futurism to you and, and how does it appear on this record? Um, well, I was really just looking at the art, uh, futurist art, sort of at the turn of last century. I don't, uh, you know, I don't really ascribe to it as an ethos, but I liked the idea of sort of translating modern art into music. And, and I mean, all, you know, a lot of futurist works did involve sound and music, but it, uh, I guess I saw a connection between that and the sort of pop music that I've been talking about, stuff that's really popular right now, both of those things use these sort of atonal elements that you, you know, you wouldn't think are musical. You wouldn't describe them as musical. Um, they're, they're abrasive in a lot of ways, but I think that they have traction because they, they reflect the, the environment that we're living in. Um, you know, there's, there's just a lot of noise a literal noise living in a city or near a city or you know anywhere where there's other people essentially it's really a kind of a rare modern occurrence that um we're just kind of saturated with noises uh, you know and machinery and and all all sorts of stuff like that and so the futurists were, were looking at that and making these weird abrasive avant-garde art pieces but i think also in in hip-hop and some other sort of adjacent genres that's been used in a similar sort of way, but but it, in making these totally different sorts of songs. And so that was interesting to, to sort of perceive a parallel there and see someone, groups of people making music that tried to make this nonsensical sonic landscape into something that made sense to them. And I think that on this record, I was kind of trying to do the same thing. You know, there's there's noisy parts of this record and there's a lot of i would just go around and, and record on my phone if there was uh you know if there were leaf blowers or, or industrial sounds or any sort of thing that was going on um i think famous one of the last sounds that you hear is um this carpet cleaner truck that was outside of my house but i wanted to just do have my own take on incorporating those sounds into something that was more musical I certainly do like the uh, the noise that you're making to reuse your phrase there. Like I said, it's a, it's a great record, Will. I really appreciate what you're doing with all of this. Um, I love your creativity. Of course, I love what you've done in the past, but you know, uh, not everybody takes risks in this way, and I certainly appreciate it. No, yeah. I, thank you for uh, 
giving it a shot, I guess. No problem, man. And and thanks again for uh, for the call right here. This was a uh, this was really cool to get to talk to you. And uh, and hopefully we will see you around. You know, at some point sooner than later. Yeah, yeah, I hope so too. Well, take care out there. We'll see you around. Have a good one. My thanks to Will Toledo again. The brand new car seat headrest record is called "Making a Door." less open. Thanks to Will. Thanks to you for checking out this episode. Again, before you get out of here, if uh, if you want to hear more from us, more interviews from your favorite artists or discover some new ones, or at least know what's happening in the music world, hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening from right now. That's uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, any of the big places or wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll send you new interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Then after that, head to WFPK.org where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern an hour full of song premieres and music news and anniversary spins and bonus interviews. Again, that's uh, 6 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday at wfpk.org. Consequence of Sound, they've got your music and film news. You can find me on the uh, social medias at Kyle Meredith. Follow and like in the appropriate places. Keep up there as well. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org, from Louisville Public Media. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.